Digital Free Thought Radio Hour. that you're so down <laughs> now uh, you're so lively anyway this I'm only at a 10 out of 10 this week can you believe it oh. i am bush oh really well glad tired is good as long as you wear yourself out <laughs> anyway welcome to the I made burritos but i forgot to bring my hot sauce to work this morning oh, oh basically all yeah, day yeah. you can't believe how much that annoyed me. Oh. No, I'm back and I'm ready. Let's do this show. Sounds good to me. We're uh, Free Thought Radio Hour is live on WOZO Radio, 103.9 LPFM right here in Knoxville, Tennessee. And Digital Free Thought Radio Hour is a talk radio show about atheism, free thought, rational thought, humanism, and the sciences. Conversely, we'll also talk about religion, religious faiths, gods, holy books, and superstition. And if you get the feeling that you're the only non-believer in Knox, Knoxville or even the Bible Belt, well, you're you're mistaken. You're not alone. Yeah, that's right. We, you have several atheist and rationalist groups that exist here in Knoxville, and we'll tell you a little bit more about each one of them after the break at the middle of the show uh, and how you can connect with them. Also, did you know that there's been an atheist call-in television show broadcasting here in Knoxville? Did you know that? Well, I'm back. I knew it. I actually have some trivia about the show you may not have known about. Uh, Are you not, ready for this? Not likely. Check this out. So yeah. did you know that when Steve Urkel was on the first season of that show, he wasn't even expected to be a standing character? It was right. only because the fans Who? loved him so much Who? they decided to bring him on, and that's how you get the, did I do that? And the Carl Wilson jokes. Also, uh, Carl Wilson played in Dialogue. I think that's you're why, thinking about the wrong... great show. I think you're thinking about the wrong show, actually. Uh, it's not anything with Urkel on it, although that is another show, I do believe. But 10 the, out of 10 still. The what? 10 out of 10. Still a great show. Yeah, yeah it is. It's good. But the atheist call-in television show that broadcasts here in Knoxville has been on the air for over seven years now. And it's called uh, Free Thought Forum. And later on in the show, we'll tell you how you can watch that, too, and interact. Uh, and in spite of what Steve Martin would have you think, there are an awful lot of atheist songs, and you'll be hearing them right here in this program and generally on the station as we have them in rotation. Matter of fact, the, the song that we played during the intro uh, is going to intro us into our topic. Uh, would you like to tell us about that song and the, and the show that goes with it? Sure. So we have a song called Letting Go of God that plays into every episode of the, the digital free thought radio hour that we got right now. Um, here's the thing though. I, I, I am maybe a, I, I give that song a, a good solid B plus. <laughs> B you know, plus? I like the song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's a nice beat. It's a little dreary. It could be maybe yeah. a bit. Yeah. I'm not making a little techno remix to it, mm-hmm. you know, put some bass in there, maybe some drums, get some something in there. Sure. Get my, you know, my heart rate up. Mm-hmm. But until then, it was just something that kind of happened, and I waited. You know, it's a song you wait for a show to start, and I yeah. had no problems with it. Yeah. So when I saw, but I, but I knew that the name was tied to something called uh, "Letting Go of God," Julia Sweeney, and I thought Julia Sweeney was the artist of the song, so I didn't really put it much up. So here I am on YouTube. Um, I'm just you know fooling around, watching some videos, and then somehow Google already knows that I'm male. 
Google already knows <laughs> that I'm in, uh, in my around my 30s. Uh-huh. Google already knows that I'm atheist because a lot of the recommendations that gives up are like street epistemology videos or like atheist experience clips. And then it had one TED talk by Julia Sweeney called Letting Go of God. And I'm like, I know, I know that lady. She's giving a TED talk though. That's not normally a, uh-huh. uh, a concert. So mm-hmm. what's going on here? I click the button. Turns out it's, I uh, got a, uh, uh, basically, imagine this. A, uh, the scene is a woman standing on a stage, and behind her is basically a snapshot of what looks like a crowded living room filled with a bunch of empty. Maybe a chair on one side, there's a warm lighting, carpets on the ground, and she's just standing there. And what I'm realizing is I'm not watching a TED Talk. I'm actually watching like a one-woman show of a lady basically explaining how she became an atheist over time. Uh-huh. And I'm like, oh, the introduction to this song, the, the show is the song that we have for our show. Right. And Julia Sweeney is the basically the actor uh, who's in part of this performance. And Julia Sweeney, if you didn't know, is uh, 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 a, a pretty interesting actor. You might have known her if you've ever seen the movie Beethoven, which was way, way back when I was a kid, but she was the mom in that show. So... That's huh. kind of the time frame that we're dealing yeah. with here. Well, I usually but, know uh, her from Saturday Night Live. Do you know she she used to be on Saturday Night Live, too? Oh, there's new information for me. Oh, really? <laughs> she played an yeah. androgynous character named Pat. If oh, you're, okay. you remember Pat from Saturday Night Live, that was her. And, and the, the running joke was you couldn't tell if it was a guy or a girl. And they kept trying to <laughs> engage her in conversation to find out if she was or not. And she would never give them any clues. But anyway, that was Pat. That was Julia Sweeney as well. So, if anything, that should give you an indication that this lady is actually a pretty uh, well competent and gregarious person on stage. Mm-hmm. Very uh, uh, welcoming. Like her, her means of talking is very humane and uh, very easy to relate to her because maybe she has an entire uh, uh, lifetime in developing a craft, not just for acting, but acting for the live audiences and. So I'm watching the play, and the original play, or the play, letting go of that, after the intro music, begins with her explaining how she was growing up as a kid in Minnesota, and her parents are telling her about Santa Claus, and how basically uh, when she turned seven years old, her father came to her and said, listen, there's something very special that's going to happen to you on your birthday today. Oh, yeah. She's like, what? And the father says, well, you've now reached the age of reason, and as a person who's reached the age of reason, that means now you're culpable for any kind of sin that you commit and that God will punish you because now you're liable for as a, uh, a person past the age of reason of any bad thing that you might do against his word. Uh-huh. And that's a big thing to tell a seven-year-old. But she interpreted that in a funny way, saying like, wait a second, you mean I could have done anything I wanted from <laughs> six yeah. all the way down mm-hmm. to one? Yeah. Like, all the times that I've been good, but really all the times I could have been bad, I are wasted. And she just felt really uh, cheated by that. She felt mm-hmm. like uh, it was basically a pretty big tragedy in her life. And she went to try to tell all her friends. Her little brother didn't care, and she was just really upset. And that was, you know, she out. was really upset because her didn't brother, her little brother didn't care because he had a whole year ahead of him <laughs> <laughs> that he could be bad. Yeah. But he said, oh, girl. Yeah. <laughs> I, and when I heard that story, I was already kind of hooked. I thought it was like, oh, this is great. She's yeah. like, she's really funny. This is a good story. So basically, uh, she she got upset. She, but her turns out that her mother, uh, who was also I know the on the uh, on this little you know hiccup, uh, basically lied to her about what her actual birthday was because they needed to get her into school a couple of months early. So they basically. Uh, not forced the document, but basically told the school a lie and said her birthday is supposed to be on the September when really her birthday was like way in December. And they ultimately told her that when she started going around telling everybody, hey, I've reached the age of reason. Listen, if you're still under seven years old, do whatever you want. God doesn't care. Watch out. For, watch your back. Uh-huh. And then her parents basically said, hey, listen, we want to let you know something. Your birthday, you got to stop telling people your birthday uh, is this day like on the September, because really it's going to be in December. And this is well after the fact it's December. I'm sorry yeah. I'm telling the story for uh-huh. Like I said, watch her. But because this is, this is already next year, and they're saying, hey, remember when you were telling everyone to be bad? 
in September. It, what's really funny is your birthday is actually in December. And she's like, what? My birthday was like three months after the fact. I could have had three extra months yeah. to be bad. Yeah. This is even worse. Mm-hmm. But it, it's a really great play, and it basically starts to introduce her as a character, gets her impression of what she, how she thinks as a kid, how, she, how she's spunky, she's mm-hmm. an intelligent, smart wit. And then around the time, she fast forwards to the point where she's an adult. And I think this is where it starts to get interesting because she does talk about how she realized like Santa Claus isn't real, but I don't think that's pertinent to at least this conversation. What really gets uh, interesting is when she had a, 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 a relationship that she had for about four years end, and it was like a really, really sensitive time for her. She was very vulnerable. And she felt like because she was a Christian her entire life, that God still had a plan for her. God still wanted her out of family. And that's when she got a knock at her door, right? right. And she opens up her door. And, a, and who's there to greet her but two very well-dressed men in ties and big smiles on their faces. Mm-hmm. And they want to talk to her basically about the Book of Mormon. And but you remember what they, said at, what they said at the very beginning? They said, right. They said, oh, go for it. He says, we're, we're from the Church of Mormon, and we have a message to you from God. And that's, yes. what, that's how they opened their conversation. Right. And you know, any other time, that probably wouldn't even gotten through to her. But just because of the state that she was in that crossroads of her life, uh-huh. where she had just ended a four-year relationship, <laughs> Uh, she felt like she was she was literally crying herself to sleep and to awake again. Um, and she just literally felt like this opportunity that she would have to be a mother was taken away from her. She didn't know what to do. And dating's hard, so I can understand absolutely what she felt. And she thought God had her side. God had her back. She needed someone. She needed a message. She needed someone to hang on to. And here are these guys right. telling her directly to her face that God has a message for her. So in this one weird circumstance, she let them in just to hear what their story was, mm-hmm. because she probably never even knew about it, because most people who stay within a particular religious circle don't really get the opportunity to hear the story from other sides to any great detail. Um, but she had that opportunity when these two moments came in, mm-hmm. and basically explained to her what they believed. And what was funny was she couldn't seriously because of how extraordinary the claims that she was being given sounded. Yep. For example, she got the story from the Book of Mormon that uh, uh, basically, you know, there were uh, tribes that got separated, and then there was a good tribe and a bad tribe, and then the tribes that were bad eventually became the Native or eventually became our Native Americans. Mm-hmm. But the good tribes, you know, uh, stayed where you know where Hebrews were. And one of them migrated all the way to the United States of America, where he tried to make good tribes there, and then basically wrote, uh, basically went all the way to a very specific area in America. Well, they they also told her that Jesus came to America by boat 400 years before he was literally born. I I don't remember that. so, So, and then... Not only that, but like a lot of people trans going back and forth between America, not just America, but like very specific cities uh-huh, in America. Right. And then ultimately, uh, Joseph Smith is the person who found basically the text that was uh, transcribed by these ancient people who lived back then and had a magic rock that could be used to translate these texts by putting, and he could drop the text yeah. and the magic stone in the hat, and he could read the text, and that was translated into the Book of Mormon, and yeah. there's, and for the most part, she couldn't take them seriously because it just sounded so bizarre. And she, and she, and she almost said, hey, if you're going to try to recruit people, don't start with that story. Because <laughs> even, yeah. even the Scientologists know that you say Gina for at least level three. Right. <laughs> you know, you, may, you start with a personality test, right. and then you work your way up from there. Yeah. Um, and, and it started the machination. Uh, that's what yeah, I said. Got, got her to thinking about her own beliefs. So, yeah, she can put herself in a situation where she can start to critique after giving, after being shown very confident, ardent believers of religion that she can't be compelled to believe is true because the, the, there's no evidence to support their claim. She's already starting to use a part of her mind where she can start to assess, is what you're saying supported by what is in reality? And right. Right. that starts the spark. 
because she starts to think, you know, I've realized that I don't, I can't be a Mormon because they're not supporting their claims. But do I have good ground to stand on myself? And that's something I never really thought of because I never really criticized some of the stories that I've read in my book. Yeah. Yeah, or question them. And there's certainly some things that seem a little bit off. Like, you know, Jesus, was he really as a compassionate figure as, you know, most of the Gospels give? Or is he, in fact, maybe angry most of the time? And does he ever say, hey, uh, uh, I'm, I'm not here to bring peace. I'm going to bring a, bring a sword. I'm going to make father spike your son, um, father spike your son, son spike the, um, uh, fathers. I'm gonna, and he's, like, taking down burning fig trees. He's telling people that, you know, if you can't get through, uh, if you can't get to God through me, you're basically uh, weeds that can be thrown into the fire. We're done with you. Right. Uh, you're my way or no other way. And it seems more like in the context that she had when as a kid, when she was learning about Jesus, when she was learning about these Bible stories, everything seemed okay because that's how she was being said. Um, that's how she was interpreting it. It's like, oh, of course. Or told to interpret it. They know who built the boat. Yeah. But yeah. as an adult, when she was starting to rethink these stories as an adult, she could start to see in a completely different context. Here's Noah b- fixing a boat because God's planning to drown literally every single person on the planet. Every living thing, kids. pretty much. Yeah. Uh, here's, you know, Jesus just like, you know, telling people who may not have access to him who may not ever see him in their lifetime because they're maybe on a different part of the planet, that if they don't, you know, come to God through him, there's no hope for them. They're going to hell. So what about all the people in China, India, Africa, like uh, yeah, South America, the Native Americans in America, Congo. It starts to bring up a lot. Yeah. It brings up a lot more complicated questions to her that she couldn't get simple answers to. What do you think about all this so far? Well, I'm following right along. I, that's, that's true. I mean, uh, she started worrying about all this stuff. Um, especially uh, about Jesus when she really looks at what he did and things he said, uh, you know, they're not all the uh, Beatitudes. I mean, he, he did a, a lot of things. Uh, he was rude to his mother. He, uh, he well, he, he never, uh, what's the word, uh, showed a lot of compassion for people. He, he, he uh, healed a few people um, and mm. and fed a few people. But um, as far as um, practicing what he preached, uh, it's hard to say. I mean, it's the the court is still the ball is still in the air, as they say. Absolutely, I think there was a part in her play where she was discussing how her his mother Mary actually came to Jesus to say, "Hey, maybe you should come down because all these people are angry that you're kind of being uh, 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 well, probably the best word." Uh, uh, outrageous figure, <laughs> and I worry about you because you're my son, and I love you, and I want you to be safe. Please don't do something crazy. And he basically just shuts her down. Says, "Listen, right. you're not my family. These people are my family, and only the people who are with me are my family. So get away from me." He's saying that to his own mom. Uh, right. There's an interesting thing she brought up about virginity. Um, how there's such a fascination about virgins not only, you know, in the particular culture at the time, but particularly in the Bible, um, specifically with Virgin Mary. Uh, she mentioned, like, basically, she doesn't understand that the importance of a virgin, maybe in the past when you didn't really have a good idea of what virginity meant, like, uh, as, as in a direct association with purity, like, maybe that's just like a false conflation of two different things, purity and virginity. Yet, yeah, it seems like a much more higher being with more ultimate wisdom would try to understand that, like, hey, I don't necessarily have to have something that's a virgin, like a virgin goat or like a virgin bull or like the first uh, son of like a duck that born and I have to kill it to right. sacrifice to the God or the first virgin uh, daughter or something like that. Like, I don't need to have a virgin to make an immaculate conception to make a, a, a version of me that I can ultimately sacrifice to right. myself. Mm-hmm. And why would he have to? I mean, doesn't he make the rules? He seems like he's right. making a, a rule to break a rule that he had, or to find a loophole for a rule that he had. Right. There was no reason to have his son it, killed. He could just, I guess what the basic... Go ahead. Oh, go for it. 
I mean, he could just have, he could just make the decision to uh, forgive the people who sinned against him and forgive the the original sin. But instead, he he had this convoluted plan of, of having a woman bear himself and grow up so that he could have the same people that he's going to forgive kill him. Uh, it, right. makes, it makes no sense when he could have. I mean, he makes the rules. He could have made any rule he wanted to. He could have forgiven the people and just and saved an awful lot of torture and and murder uh, when it comes to that. Um, another story you know, that another thing that uh, oh. I, I was thinking of about uh, Jesus was he compared himself to a king in a in a parable that he was telling, and that king uh, was somebody who said, "Those who do not obey me, bring them here and slay them." I mean, yeah. what kind of message is that? He said that. Yeah. He said that. Uh-huh. And it's kind of interesting that, you know, he would say such a, you know, terrible thing, really. Right. Like, you know, yeah. It, 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 it's not the sort of thing you would picture when you think of Jesus and you hear, you know, someone slaps you turn the other cheek, you know, like mm-hmm. he seems to be very yeah. high on himself. In fact, well, I don't want to get into this because that could be right. this could be a different topic, but it becomes more radical over time, uh, basically, the rhetoric that's given by Jesus. And mm-hmm. it's clear, particularly when you go into like the Gospels of Luke, that there's a lot more things being said by Jesus than just the things that are said in the Gospels of, of John and or even in Matt. Like the, the detailed picture of Jesus comes together when you look at all four of them together and realize that, you know, even if you started from good intentions where you're saying, like, listen, I'm trying to be away in a, in, in a place where there might be no way. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to give you some wisdom. By the end, he's saying some really terrible things to the point where uh-huh. it's like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe. I, and if you had a big enough crowd following him, I can imagine why people would say, hey, we need to do something about this Jesus guy. <laughs> it should have even existed. There are... Uh, Man, I wish I could go into this more, yeah. but basically there are other figures in that period of time who mm-hmm. basically did the exact same thing, oh, said sure. the same radicalized yeah. thing, mm-hmm. said they were the son of God, mm-hmm. and were killed because at the time there was already a religion in place, and yeah. this was not only known as blasphemy, but it was also challenging the current emperor at the yeah. time, who was like, no, we already have a, a, a political structure in place, we don't need a fraction of people right. completely taking and that, that And people are, still, <laughs> people are still saying that they're the son of, of God. I mean, it's still right. going on these been, days. It hasn't stopped. But anyway, right. if you want to get back to Julia. Right. Julia so uh, the whole concept is basically she couldn't interpret the same story she, as she as an adult as she did as a kid. And that seemed to be a big problem because she knew faith as a child was important. But faith as an adult was a completely different thing. She went to her pastor to try to uh, have these you know, inconsistencies explained to her. And basically, she was searching, she was purposely searching for a way to continue them for faith as it was before she was beginning to question it. And, but she wasn't getting a lot of useful answers. And there's a concept about belief that I think is really important that we talk about. And it's that you can't really choose what you believe, right. you know? Right. Um, there was a, when I was a kid, there was a kid, there was a, so when I was when I was in like third grade, there was a kid named Sergio. He had a magic trick that involved three cards, and it was just three random cards. He'd pull them out of a deck, and he'd show you one of them, which would be like an ace, a, a two, and a three, like one, two, three. And he'd show you them front and back, and then he'd put them down on the table, and he'd lift up each card one at a time, and it'd be like a king, a jack, and a queen. And it blew my mind. Listen, uh-huh. I can't tell you how amazing that was. I'm like, kid, you're gonna you you should be on TV. This is incredible. And he did it again. And I'm like, this is insane. We need to bring other people here. This is amazing. And then uh-huh. he did it again. I'm like, oh my gosh. When you get the teachers here, this guy's incredible. Then he showed me, I, I begged him. After I begged him, he showed me how he did the trick. You mean it wasn't Once magic? I, saw, <laughs> I know, right? I Once I saw how he did the trick, even though I loved the trick, even though it literally blew my mind, and I just loved being entertained by it, I couldn't watch it again in the same way. Like, that was gone. Mm-hmm. I saw the trick for what it was. I right. saw, like, the spider hand in place. And even if I wanted to, even if I wanted to go back into the mindset of when I was really enjoying it, even when all my friends were like, hey, did you see Sergio's trick? And they wanted to show it to me again and I see it again. It, even if I wanted to be excited and happy, it wasn't there anymore because now I saw it for what it kind of was. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't believe any other way other than the means that I saw it. And I feel like 
Yeah. That's how Julia Sweeney kind of felt. Like the curtain was kind of like swept back and she could see more or less that she wasn't partic- She had either a choice, either be content with what the Bible said or realize that she would have to really denigrate her moral values and ethical standards in order to be that kind of person to appreciate what the Bible for what it was. And either choice was more or less impossible. She was going through a real quandary. And her family wasn't being a particular source of help either, because her mother was basically saying, well, I just ignore the bad part and only listen to the good part. And her, mother, and her father wasn't really giving her many, much ground or leeway to uh, uh, find other options as well. Her pastor wasn't being very helpful, basically saying, hey, listen, you know, faith is going to find a way. Don't worry about it. This is just a phase. Everyone struggles a little bit, but the most important thing you should do is just continue to have faith. And it's not true. It's uh, our Bible isn't true by factor of you know all this evidence and stuff like that. It's true because it works. It makes you feel hum- happy and and feel light on the inside of your chest. That feeling's God. That's all you need to worry about. And we'll we our job as priests is to deal with the Bible and the text and all that stuff. So you just feel good and know that you're saved and everything else is fine. But that wasn't enough for her anymore. And it started her yeah, on a quest. Right. Uh, so we can go into quick uh, some details about that, but I'd like to hear about more your feedback before we get to a half. Oh, we're pretty much there, but I've got a, just a few minutes. But, uh, yeah, I'd like to reiterate the, the main point that you started off with. You cannot choose what you believe. When you believe something, uh, you are convinced that it's true. And when you become unconvinced that a certain thing is true, you can no longer believe in it, just like you were saying with the card trick. Um, right. <clears throat> excuse me. Once, uh, once you understand that religions are based on faith, and faith is believing without evidence, it's, it's hard to go back to the point where you could just say, well, I'm going to believe it anyway, because you cannot make yourself believe something that you don't. I mean, and that's Even if that's you try the, really hard, right? And so many people don't understand that most most atheists are post-religious and not pre-religious. Right. They think that we're since we don't have a religion, they can give us theirs. No, generally right. we've already had one for most of our lives. We've come out the other end, done that, been there, got the T-shirt, and it, it's we're just past that. We don't. There's. I mean, I'm sure there's a few atheists who are atheists for bad reasons, or they are quote, mad at God. There are a few out there like that. But the vast majority of atheists, the people who do not believe in God, have no reason to believe in God. Or they've seen past the reasoning that they've been given and haven't been given good enough reasons to uh, start believing again. Not only that, but people think that by explaining what their book says in uh-huh. greater detail, yeah. it's more helpful of like why we should believe, when really it's not what the book is saying, but the evidence that supports the book. So, like, just reiterating more verses or chapters or characters or stories or parables, all of that's not going to help. What's more needed is what's the justification that supports this book, and why is that reliable? If you can demonstrate why it's reliable, then maybe I'd be more inclined to show it. But I've already been past the point of what the book says. I'm already past how confident Mm -hmm. someone believes them. I'm now at the point where I need a lot amount of, a huge amount of convincing uh, evidence and a reason for why those, the, the reason why someone believes that book is a good reason, or at least a reliable reason, and right. why it's more reliable than, like, finding some natural explanation. Right. And we are now down at the bottom of the, the hour. Uh, this is WOZO Radio, 103.9 LPFM, live from Knoxville, Tennessee. And this is the Digital Free Thought Radio Hour. I'm Doubter 5, and we have Wombat on the line. Hello, Wombat. And we're going to take about a five-minute break. And uh, for that song that we have promised you for so long, uh, this is the Greenhorns doing There is an End. And we'll be back in about five. on my face you feel 
listening to the Digital Free Thought Radio Hour on Wozo 103.9 LPFM in Knoxville, Tennessee. Feel free to join in on the conversation at 865-333-5937. That's 865-333-5937. And now, back to the show. Digital Free Thought Radio Hour. Simply the best. And we're back. I'm Dowder Five, and this is Digital Free Thought Radio Hour on live on 103.9 LPFM Rive and here in Knoxville, Tennessee. I talked a little earlier in the show saying that we would uh, give you some information about the atheist groups that exist here in Knoxville. And there are three or four of them, and they're pretty good-sized groups, too. The first one, Atheist Society of Knoxville, ASK, or ASK, uh, has over 750 members now. They've been around for 15 years. You can find them online at knoxvilleatheists.org. Or you can go to meetup.com and look for Knoxville Atheists. It's just that simple. Um, also, you can join us in, per- in person excuse me, at our weekly meetup, which happens every Tuesday evening at West Hills Taps and Flats on Kingston Pike near West Town Mall, where we get together for food, drink, and conversation. Everybody is welcome, but as long as you don't come to preach, proselytize, provoke, or punch. Thank you, Matt Dillahunty. Another large free-thinking group here in Knoxville is the Rationalists of East Tennessee. They've been around more than 20 years. RET has bi-weekly presentations and discussions at Pellissippi State Campus near Hardin Valley Road. They meet the first and third Sundays in the Goins Administration Building, Cafeteria Annex. And if that's too much to remember, just go to rationalist.org and click on Upcoming Events. Or, once you get on campus, just follow the signs. It happens the first and third Sundays around church time, about 1030. Then there's the uh, Sunday Assembly, which started in England just a few years ago and has spread around the world. It's a no-God church setting for those who've had enough of religion, don't believe in God, but still like the fellowship of a church-type gathering. They only meet once a month, though, on the fourth Sunday, downtown in the International Building, near the fairgrounds. And there's, at this time of year, when school is going back into session, there's the Secular Student Alliance, which has programs to give camaraderie and community to any free-thinking high school or college student who would like to be involved in the free-thought movement or would just like to find other free-thinkers to hang with. Everybody needs like-minded friends, and atheists are no different. Finally, there's a, there's a oh yeah, the, the TV show we were going to talk about. Um, earlier in the show, we said we talked about the Knoxville Atheist Call-In TV Show. It's on the air between 5 o'clock and 6 o'clock every Tuesday, pretty much. Uh, sometimes they get preempted by the government shows. This is on uh, Community Access TV. But it's called Free Thought Forum, and you can see it on Tuesdays between 5 and 6 on Comcast Channel 12 or Charter Channel 192. If you don't have cable, you can watch it streaming online at the website uh, ctvnox.org. You can also find archives of some of their shows on YouTube, where a man, a fan, <laughs> has been posting them. Just search for three words: Free Thought Forum Knoxville. And if you don't, and if you're interested in getting involved with the TV or the, this radio show, uh, just come to an Ask Meetup Meetup or an RET meeting. And talk to us about it. You could be our next co-host or guest. And that's all for announcements, Wombat. Uh, where did we leave off? Hello, Wombat. And you must be taking an extended break. Um, uh, no, I'm still here. Okay, great. Right. Cool. Here's the phone, Parker. Gotcha, gotcha. Can you hear me? Yep, gotcha now. <laughs> uh-huh. Hey, it's good to be back. Yeah. Uh, where did we leave off? So Julia Sweeney is a lady who grew up in Minnesota, ardent Catholic, whole family Catholic, mm-hmm. had a breakup that basically made her want to have a message from God. She wanted to continue her faith. She wanted to continue believing. But the message ended up being these two Mormon guys who knocked on her right. door and told them about her faith, mm-hmm. their faith. And then from that situation, she was like, I don't believe these guys because they don't have enough evidence to support Yeah, they, she and thought, you guys ridiculous. better work on your story. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. But it also made her begin to reframe how she sees the Bible because there's some ridiculous stories in there. 
Oh, there, I forgot one of the saddest parts. Like, like she was reading the story of Demora, and which is one of the cities that uh, was God chose to destroy because the people were acting too lasciviously. Lots of life, I think, died by being turned into a pillar of salt just from looking back at the city. Uh-huh. And uh, but that's the story most people seem to remember. Yet when she reread that story, there was a much more incredible event that occurred. Which was the day before, or basically the, how the lockout the message that he didn't believe was that he was visited by two angels, and the two angels basically were so beautiful that everyone in the city wanted to have sex with them. So oh, the two angels hid, <laughs> yeah, hid in Locke's home while their townspeople were knocking on the door saying, "We want to have sex with those angels. We want to sexually assault them." Yeah. And Locke says, "No, you will not touch these angels. Instead, have my daughters." And he basically let his daughters be ravaged yeah. by these townsfolk. Uh-huh. And it was this terrible thing that seemed to be a story that she could not ever take as something that was like, you know, a good thing to learn about. Yeah. There's no frame that you could take that as a good thing. Uh-huh. Um, so, again, there was just a lot of stories she was beginning to see in the adult context. So she decided to say, hey, listen, I... <clears throat> don't want to read the Bible. I'm just going to try to explore some spiritual connection. I want to have my own personal connection with God, just make it a, a, herself and a God thing, because clearly she still felt like the God was there. Uh-huh. And that started making her feel that she wasn't so much religious, but spiritual. And I've heard that so many times. Really? Mm-hmm. And I, I, so I, I, in terms of, like, as people progress towards um, um, uh, atheism and understanding what it is and just being satisfied with that. Yeah. Uh, I, I've called myself spiritual, not religious. I used to call myself religiously unaffiliated for a while, mm-hmm. so right. I got more useful with what I, atheism yeah. was. I always, I always um, stop them and ask them what the spiritual means, and I've right. never got a satisfactory answer for that. But she took a trip to Tibet. Uh, she wanted to look at Buddhism because she like Buddhism. She understood that, like, hey, listen, Buddhism mm-hmm. doesn't really have that much like of a, of a holy book or like a central God figure. It seems to be more about self-improvement. And she's like, yeah, I can facilitate myself, my own religious, personal relationship with God and use Buddhism to fuel that at the same time, too. So she went over there for a while. She had some money from Beethoven 3, so she was totally fine. Uh-huh. And uh, basically, uh, she saw that a lot of the kids there, she got to see the, the real picture of Buddhism, basically. She saw young boys and girls, basically, you know, have, like, deformities and maybe needed, like, additional medical care. And she was like, hey, I, I would love to give a donation or, like, some sort of help to, like, these, you know, these children who, who clearly need it. But the, the people there said, no, they're purposely suffering because in life, they must have done something really bad to right. be born in this current state. Karma. And that's when she started to realize, you know, there's maybe something that she didn't like about, you know, this idea of spiritualism being clouding natural empathy. And so, again, she got burned off of that, and she's wondering, what do I do? Because right now, life was so much easier when I was a Christian. Life was easier as a Catholic. Yeah. But I can't convince myself that this is true. Like, there's, it, and it starts making her think, well, if it's not true, well, then what else could it be? Like, she started, as a result, trying to, like, pick up some, like, science books because she couldn't understand how the world could work without, you know, like, some sort of, like, uh, uh, you know, uh, practical explanation. Right. Her, she realized when she picked up her first science book and started reading through it. That's, that's actually, I'm sorry. I, I, the story then goes after she went to, she went to Galapagos Island, literally, and found a copy of, of Charles Darwin's book on um, evolution, basically, out on the table, and she's like, ha, ha, hilarious. Why, I, I, I know everything about evolution. I already know everything about science because I was taught it in Catholic school. Right. And she realized, like, even in Catholic school, she probably may not even be taught science appropriately because to her, evolution was, like, something her Catholic teacher taught her which was basically, once upon a time, God made everything, and some things can change, for sure, but, you know, God is the intelligent creator, he's the intelligent designer, and we're all made in his image, and that's evolution. So next thing we're going to learn about is, you know, the Book of Romans. Right. And that's basically all she ever got. 
So when she, I was actually reading, you know, Charles Darwin's book, and I've actually read that book. It's a very, very well written book because it explicitly stated in layman's terms how, you know, these observations lead to very reasonable conclusions. And the final conclusion, yeah. which is, you know, all these animals seem to have traits that are passed down that give them better ability to survive. Mm-hmm. As a function of being able to survive more, their offspring are able to make more babies. And that trait is passed down and becomes more common. And this seems to result in entirely new species being formed that look entirely different from their predecessors. And this just keeps going and going. And with enough time, you can have entirely different animals, you know, show up. Like how you have clusters of new animals show up on this particular island yeah. just because it's tied to a very small genetic group. But at the end, he's, he's not even saying like humans are that for sure, 100%. He's just saying the evidence seems to support that all animals, including people, might have this interesting means of passing genetic data. Yeah. And it just seems like the overall evidence is supporting that, you know, animals have this ability. Right. Well, what's really surprising was he did all of this, what, 150 years before we knew about DNA. And, oh, yeah. And, and, when, cool. and when DNA was discovered and they started deciphering our human genome, that could have blown evolution right out of the water right then. But it, it didn't. It supported it in spades. It, it really... Uh, paved the way for a, a, a very scientific understanding of, of passing on genes and for speciation and diseases and, and just uncounted things that that uh, were supported by his theory and uh, confirmed by DNA. Right, um, and it's and the thing is, I'm a biochemist. I got my PhD in biochemistry. We don't mm-hmm. use the Darwinian model of evolution anymore, mm-hmm. but it is the foundation of literally every form of science past biology, like biology, genetics, biochemistry, so on. We've improved the model. We've included things like DNA, as you said, paleotypes, genetics. We've also included germs, bacteria, Mm -hmm. things that were too small for them to see and study back in those days. We have so much data that supports the general idea of what he said, but really fine-tuned it down to details where we can now make vaccinations and eliminate... It's the backbone of modern medicine. Basically, yeah, it's a great thing. And I guess if you never had an opportunity to read it or understand it as a kid, there's no doubt that most people can dismiss it because they don't understand it. But the only issue is the corrupt real time is it's not that hard to understand. It's actually pretty straightforward. It just requires that you take, I guess, a certain amount of ego with that given to you through religion out of the way. You have to realize you're not the, you're not as special that you have, like, you know, uh, an all-powerful being that you can contact whenever you want in your bad pocket. Right. You, have to, you have to humble yourself a lot, a great deal, maybe to the point where you're uncomfortable, to realize that you're just as much an animal as, you know, a pigeon that's on, like, a, a, a phone wire. Like, that's, right. that's startling information to someone who's been religious their entire life. Mm-hmm. But it's something that she was willing to do, and she starts to make an honest assessment. At that time, she had a, uh, Julius Sweeney had a, a, another relationship that uh, was with this man who was very religious. He tried to help her and basically said, you know, the proof of God is that the eyeball exists. And there's no such thing as half an eyeball or a quarter of an eyeball. You either have an eye or you don't have an eye. And as a result that we have eyes and eyes are perfect, that's proof that God exists, or at least that animal or humans are better than all other animals because we have, you know, these forms the eyes. And she was like, at that point, I kind of have a better idea. She was saying, basically, I will look up how eyes are, how existed. I'll look up the naturalist explanation for how eyes work, uh-huh. which she didn't know at the time. And she realized eyes started off as just a, a layer of skin that was light sensitive. And then over time, developed more sensitivity to it. And those genes are passed on and so on and so on. And so you had uh, basically an entire organ dedicated to it that was able to develop, you know, lenses over periods of eons, and then you end up with, you know, retinas that can better display these images. And the actual eye that we have now isn't even perfect. There's a no. giant Mm-mm. gaping hole yeah. with an optic nerve next to our retina that basically gives us a blind, right, blind spot. spot. Right. Yeah. And, and as that, a result, what we see right now is like uh, an image that's constructed by our brain mm-hmm. that's not even like a live image of what we're seeing yeah. at the moment, but really processed a couple of nanoseconds after the fact. Like right. We're seeing everything in the past, mm-hmm. and we got this giant nose in our face. It's right in our eyes. 
that's blocking everything. Yeah, and but, um, the human eye isn't the only eye that uh, that evolved. It evolved like along four or five different tracks, animal tracks. Right. Um, so there, it's not just the human eye that's out there. There are four or five different evolutionary tracks to the eye, to an eye. Exactly. There are eyes that are better than the human eye. Right. So, like, there are species of that crawl that, or what do you call them, crawfish, that have way better corneas and, and means of rods, basically. Mm-hmm. They can let them see way more different forms of light and uh, different colors and, and, and differences in deep bodies of water. Octopuses and squid have different kinds of eyes. Uh, but anyway, uh, she basically was finding explanations when religion was just giving her answers. And as a result, the, the, she had to lean towards the information that she, she could find as more reliable. And so she was beginning to get, find herself more comfortable with at least calling herself a naturalist because she didn't like defining herself on religious terms. She wasn't not a theist. She didn't like calling herself that. She wants to just say she was a naturalist. And as a result, she had to realize that maybe she wasn't as comfortable not with saying that God existed, but really just saying she couldn't believe in a God. And once she realized that, it was a slow period of time. I was talking months where she just got comfortable with the idea of, you know, this belief that I have doesn't necessarily need to be a crux of how I live the rest of my life. Even though it made my life easier, even though like it was a, a, a nice bubble to be in. Uh-huh. Now that I'm out, I I have this opportunity of being in this world and realizing how precious this moment is to be a human being that's capable of thought on this planet amongst all these other beings and, and animals and being a part of this amazing uh, ecosystem that is in this huge universe that I can finally start to appreciate from the ground up. It's an amazingly humble yeah. experience. And, and, it's, and it's, you can also figure out how everything is connected. You, you don't just look at something and say, well, that's here on the earth because God put it there. We can find out how these things came about. We have explanations. We have ed- evidence for scientific evidence, I mean, for uh, explanations for the way things are. And we can understand right. it. One of the greatest things about science is it gives us a tool for understanding the universe on its own terms without having to invoke magic or miracles. Or really just anything from the supernatural, basically. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, I can explain all. Mm-hmm. Um, it did help her, it did help her in that capacity, but her family needed time to come to terms with it, I think. Uh, towards the end of the talk, she was talking about like how her father, once she knew that she, uh, and basically a newspaper outed her out as an atheist. Yeah. And because she had done a talk somewhere. And her family in her small little city found out about it and realized, hey, that's not a, our daughter's doing that. We need to call her. And they had a conversation on the phone. Didn't go well. And her father basically says, I don't even want you coming to my funeral. And she was like, I'd like to see you try and stop me. (laughs) (laughs) But her mom basically uh, said that she couldn't believe that this happened and didn't want to talk anymore. But every now and then, after she had come out as an atheist, her mom would call her by accident as if she had forgotten that she wasn't talking to her anymore. And then have to like end the call immediately. And then, She'd call up again and she'd be like, where do you even get your morals from? Where do you get mm-hmm. all these, how do you deal with yourself? Yeah. How, how are you going to do when you die? And so, like, there was a fundamental misunderstanding of, uh, basically, where she was coming from. Sure. Uh, the, her mother. Well, if, the, if they won't have the conversation with her, how are they supposed to understand it? Right. If, if they That's just turn the off things. to her, you know? Right. But... I can understand it because they never really had the opportunity to question it themselves. Yeah. So it's a lot of information went, it's no big deal if like a guy across the street becomes an atheist or if there's an entire country of atheists mm-hmm. somewhere in Europe. But when it's your own daughter that does it, when you are like a ardent Catholic, Catholic person yeah. and you raise them in a Catholic family and you're one of your kids become an atheist, you have no way of understanding it. Obviously yeah. it looks like something went wrong, but as much stress as it caused, they had to understand, they ultimately came to understanding that it wasn't something that Julia Sweeney could control. She was being very genuine, at least in her belief. Mm-hmm. And she was saying, like, I can't choose what to believe. This is just something that seems to be the right. case. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to change my mind if I get 
these criteria of information. But without that, I can't be persuaded into believing it otherwise. Right. And it's just this really weird state. But until then, I'm getting pretty good explanations for how everything else is. And I still believe the same thing you do. I still love you. I'm still mm-hmm. here. I'm still, yeah. I'm still more or less the same thing. I just changed my mind on one question. Right. And as much as it's changed my life, it hasn't changed me as a person. And I feel like that was the main part of the show that like, really hit home with me. Uh, just seeing someone's realization of who they were despite breaking a label that was they thought identified them to realizing what their identity was without it. That was just a really powerful thing. It was a great show. Yeah, yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I've got a, a, just a portion of it on my website. If somebody would like to go list, go to my website and listen to maybe a half an hour of it. It's a two-and-a-half-hour show, so I'm, I'm considering it a advertisement for her show. But go to digitalfreethought.com and look on the right-hand side of the screen, and you'll see Julia Sweeney's name. Click on the link, and you can listen to about a half an hour of the show. It's It's really well done, and I highly recommend it. It's funny, it's, it's, it's bittersweet, it's never tragic, and you'll actually learn a lot of stuff. Uh, I learned a lot of stuff through, about science as well as religion. She psyched everything, and she keeps it entertaining throughout. And it's not really an attack on Christianity itself. In fact, I would recommend a lot of believers watch it, because it's not an attack on Christianity, it's not an attack on Catholicism. No, it's, her, it is, it's her journey. It's her personal journey, and it's also a really good explanation of where atheists are coming from, right. because it gives us the entire path of how someone who's very, very interested or invested in a religion and who wants to maintain it can, once they realize that they don't have a good reason to anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think like that's the main crux of why a lot of people continue to be atheists, and not how, just turn into atheists. How would, continue. Right. How would the listener go about getting a copy of that? they wanted to. Oh, it's on YouTube. It's the whole thing? on YouTube. The it's whole thing is on YouTube? The whole thing, yeah, the whole thing was on YouTube. So listen, uh, it, it, it doesn't have enough views. I recommend it because I want it to have millions and millions of views. I want more people to see this. So what I'll do is I'll send you the link. Um, I hope it can be posted on the Digital Free Thought blog. Okay. And then um, I'm going to share it around. I'll probably post it on Facebook. I think it'll be uh, worth watching too. Okay. But um, yeah, it's it, Again, Julie Sweeney's talk, Letting Go of God, amazing piece of media, and yeah. I highly recommend yeah. people watch it. And if you're very... Oh, so, that was our closing show. No, we got still got five minutes. Um, <laughs> uh, one other thing that I highly recommend on YouTube, since we're talking about YouTube, is a, a series sure. of videos, uh, and it's like, if you watch all of them, it'd take you about an hour and a half, hour and 15 minutes, something like that. Uh, the guy's uh, YouTube name is Evidence Three, and if if you replace most of the E's with threes, you got his name except for the first E. Evidence Three and his uh, series of videos is why I am no longer a Christian, and the guy takes you on the entire trek of his his thought process, going from a fundamentalist Christian, uh, uh, it was more or less an, an, an evangelist. Uh, and he wasn't a, a preacher or anything. He was just a, he went to college as a, a believing Christian. And then it, the series of videos take you all the way through his his deconversion with a lot of explanations and and good pro, uh, production values, some good music, and uh, I just highly recommend it. It's called Why I'm No Longer a Christian. Who recommending YouTube videos? I got a couple too. Okay, go cool. uh, One of the shows that helped me become an atheist, or at least made me comfortable calling myself an atheist, was the Atheist Experience. It's a radio show similar to what we got right now, calling radio shows oh, yeah. uh, out of Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's hosted by a rotating cast. Uh, normally, it's Russell Glasser, Tracy Harris, and another guy named Matt Dillahunty is making waves and a lot of other. Uh, secular circles, mm-hmm. but uh, basically people call in, are free to call into the show with and, their religious beliefs. And unlike they, our show, they get a lot of calls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, but they they are uh, very well skilled in terms of not only just handling the calls, but um, trying to show, at least to the audience, why the callers who call in with very confident religious claims are typically misinformed. Uh, as a, an alternative to that, and I think it's a very good complementary thing, because if you watch that show a lot and you suddenly become an atheist, it's good, but it doesn't teach you how to communicate with other people. It just right. makes you really argumentative uh-huh. sometimes. What's that? So as a complement to it is street epistemology. It's filmed more or less in the same city 
uh, if you search SE or street epistemology, I know epistemology is a big word, but how about this? If you search for cordial curiosity, uh, you'll get videos of guys who are doing on the street interviews with people about their faith. And it sounds like the most uncomfortable thing, but it's actually not because street epistemology practices a very cordial way of getting people to analyze their beliefs in a productive manner that's not confrontational and is actually really, really easy to do in yeah. about in a five minutes. Yeah. Some of these conversations are so eye-opening, and the whole method is shown to you because they want more people to try it. I've tried it myself, and I've actually found it to be really effective, much more so than debating a person, sure. but just really having a conversation, asking some Socratic questions, and getting to the root of their belief. Right. Okay, we are running out of time now. We're getting right there, pretty much right there. Uh, any final words? Any sign-off? Yeah, check out Cordial Curiosity on YouTube. Uh, then, if you got a chance, Julia Sweeney, uh, Letting Go of God. They're great videos, and if they make you change your mind, that would be a great thing. Yeah, you, think, you would think so. Okay, this is DigitalFreeThought.com. We have been live from Knoxville, Tennessee on WZO Radio 103.9 LPFM. And remember, everybody is going to somebody else's hell. And if you, the time to worry about it is when heaven, hell, and souls are demonstrated to be real. Don't sweat it. See you next week at Wednesday at 7 o'clock, and uh, this is Daughter 5 off. Bye. Say one Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Free Thought Radio Hour. Simply the best.